Hey, thank you, Clayton, and uh, welcome everybody, New Spring family. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Caleb, and I get the opportunity to work with Fuse, which, if you haven't heard, is our student ministry, and it is amazing, and we love it. And I want to say something really quickly before we jump in, let you know about something. Obviously, with all of the world being crazy and 2020 being a year that we will uh, look back on, hopefully, in the years to come and, and look back and just laugh and go, what in the world was going on? Um, one of the things that we had to do earlier this year is we had to pull the plug on our gauntlet summer camp. We didn't know about travel. We didn't know about large groups. We didn't know any of that stuff. All the rules were changing daily. So we had to pull the plug on Gauntlet uh, Senior Camp or, or Gauntlet Student Camp, but we've decided to replace it with something amazing that we can do. I wanna let you know, at the end of July, we are going to be taking our graduated seniors on a much smaller, much more uh, customized retreat. So please, if you know a senior that just graduated or you are a senior that just graduated or there's one that lives next door to you or in your neighborhood, please get them signed up for this. We only have a small handful of spots left but we're really looking forward to that. So I wanna jump right into uh, Colossians chapter four. I love going through the Bible, just verse by verse, chapter by chapter, probably because part of my job is to teach the Bible, so obviously enjoy it. But there's something about... Uh, that always strikes me about the fact that Paul, the apostle Paul writes these letters to these churches that he was responsible for thousands of years ago. And yet you and I today in the middle of a pandemic and in a crazy society here in the West can read these letters and they can still speak directly to us. I find it fascinating. It's because all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching and rebuke. It's alive, it is well here with us. And that is so true about the book of Colossians. And so I wanna read just a couple of verses to you that we're gonna be in today. And then I'm gonna jump right in. We got a lot of Bible and a lot of teaching and not a lot of time, so I wanna get straight to it. Pick it up in verse uh, two, Colossians chapter four, verse two. <clears throat> he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And I wish there was a, a little conviction button right here that I could hit every time I feel convicted because I was going ahead and hit it four words in to devote yourself to prayer. How different would our church and our nation and this climate be if we would actually heed this advice and devote ourselves to prayer? But that's not my message. Okay, being watchful and thankful. Conviction, again, how thankful are we consistently? Pray for us too, he says, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And I love that. I'm, I'm reading a, a book called Orthodoxy right now by an author I'm learning to love, G.K. Chesterton. And he says this. So Paul's writing this letter, just, just throwing it in there. Hey, by the way, I'm in prison, so take this message seriously. He says, Jesus promised his disciples three things, that they would be completely fearless, absurdly happy, and constantly in trouble. And I love that, that Paul's saying like, hey, by the way, this got me here, so there's something to this message. He says, verse four, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And then he says this, and this is gonna be where we focus our efforts today, verse five and six. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So I wanna take just a couple of minutes here and I actually wanna recap the whole book of Colossians for us in order to get to two verses in chapter four that I wanna read. So the, the point of this, uh, the, the first part is to notice the progression of Paul's letter to the church. Because I think part of the message even in this teaching is to look at the way the book of Colossians stacks up. Because I think there's something, there's an underlying current in this book that we should pay attention to that will help us understand greater the point of the words he's trying to say in the book itself. So the, the, the progression of the book of Colossians begins with with the preeminence of Christ in everything, which I find to be fascinating uh, that it would be so important 
for him to instruct Christians to remember that Christ is the point of everything. And here we are today in an entirely different climate, thousands of years removed from when this is written. And I don't know that there's ever been a more important time for you and I to read this passage and to be confronted with the truth that the preeminence of Christ is the point of everything. And I, what I love here on uh, you know, Independence Day weekend is that you're probably at the beach right now and you can't get away from your phone watching a message about Jesus because you're at the ocean and you're listening to the waves and it's saying one thing to you and it's saying that the point of creation is Christ. Or you're on your boat fishing at the lake and you thought, I wanna escape from the day-to-day, -day, the busy world, the grind, whatever it is to escape from, and here you find yourself thinking about Jesus. It's why as soon as marriages fall apart, people go to the Bible or a kid gets sick, they, go to, they just frantically search through the gospels to try to find something that Jesus said somewhere to make them feel better or do something, or lose a job. I, there's a tragedy that happens. We go immediately to Jesus because creation is bearing witness to us that Jesus is first in everything. And I love that Paul's letter to the Colossians starts with this. He, he says, remind yourself, you don't have to do so much work to put Jesus at the center as you do to realize he's already the center of everything. And it moves from the, the preeminence of Christ to chapter two where he talks through spiritual development and freedom from religious activity. I love that Jesus said this and Lee quoted this this morning as we got into worship that Jesus came to say that who the son sets free is free indeed. And I just find it so fascinating that the apostle Paul had to convince these believers thousands of years ago that the spirit of God was coming to set them free from the religious duty and activity of the day and to set them into a deeply formed spiritual life with God. See, I feel that most of the time with people here in our church and people honestly in, in other churches as well, that we tend to project our insecurities on our relationships with each other onto our relationship with God. And for, you know, most of us probably fall somewhere in the middle, but a lot of us fall in one of two extremes. We either project onto God that there's never enough that we could do to make him happy, that he's, you know, we're, we're just constantly insecure about our imperfections and, and, and poor qualities. And so we just chase trophy after trophy after trophy. We try to do another religious activity, another good deed to, to, to grab one more accolade to add to our name. And then we hold it up and Paul would describe that clearly as these filthy rags, right? That all of our righteousness is nothing in view of God's goodness and God's glory. We fall in the other extreme, which is we look and we, we see our faults so clearly that we feel as though we could never make God happy anyway. So we're just paralyzed into a life of just uh, nothingness where our entire relationship with God is based off a confession we made 15 years ago. And there's no evidence in my day-to-day -day life that I'm doing life with the spirit of God. And I think what Paul is trying to write in the second chapter of this, of this book, in this letter to the Colossians, is that Christ has come to set us free from this religious duty to God. And he's come to bring us into a delightful relationship with him. And the nature and the art of relationships is that they're just messy sometimes. There's progress and then there's moving back. There's, I did something right and I have to deal with feeling confident, but then I do something wrong and I have to be deeply humbled and you talk and I listen and then I share and I watch you. And there's this nature of relational uh, connectivity to God that Jesus came to teach us that Paul is having to work to remind the Colossian church. Don't fall back into religious activity. Don't fall back into your checklist approach toward God. Pursue relational connectivity with him. But it moves from spiritual development and freedom from religious activity 
to instructions for righteous living. Because how many of you know, at some point, the Christian life has to be marked by a handful of practices, right? That's why so much of what we're talking through in this season where we haven't been able to gather together in person, what we've been trying to do is backfill our day-to-day with practices that can help us be formed spiritually, whether it's reading your Bible or praying or confessing your sin, or worshiping privately, or any of the things that tend to be spiritual practices that help us, there are instructions that the Apostle Paul gives to the church about the value of righteous living. Because right belief, as Paul would go to teach us, that good theology, that that, uh, correct thoughts about the character of God and the nature of our relationship, over time will lead to living life a certain way that is pleasing to God and fruitful in ministry. And that's not true about pastors or staff members at a church, but that's true about us collectively. That the deeper we search to find the true heart and character of God, and the longer we look to find the true nature of my relationship to him, the better my day-to-days become. That my life begins to be deeply formed and it turns out that God's will for me to be conformed to the image of God's son, that he is actually bringing that to completion in my day-to-day. And then it moves, and this is where I wanna get to for most of our time today. It moves from instructions for righteous living to wisdom and instruction toward outsiders and people not in the church. And if I had a conviction button here, I would just hit it over and over and over again when I get to these two verses, and here's why. 95% of the letter to the Colossian church has to do with the way you and I act as believers. And there's this teeny little bit on the way we should address the world outside of us. And what I have found personally in my life is the exact opposite of that to be true. That I get so tied up thinking about how I'm gonna fix all of the problems in the earth that I miss the fact that most of my time should be spent with Christ, allowing the spirit of God to form the character of Christ in my personal life. And then, and only then, should I turn my attention toward how I can, how I can uh, bring change into the world around me? And I grew up in church. I've been in church my, almost my entire life. And what I know to be true about people with a microphone on their face and people that sit in church is that it is so easy for us to consume ourselves with the behavior and activity of people outside of the church. But do you wanna know why? And this is what I'm finding to be true. And I'm not preaching a message to you. I'm telling you the conviction of the sin in my heart. It's so much easier to be concerned with them because I don't have to take that to heart, the other 95% of the letter that Paul came to write. And I just think right now in America, in the South, that this is such an important message for us to receive from the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago, that if we would take the commands to do life with God and allow the Spirit of God to form us deeply, that most of our time spent actually growing and being conformed to the image of God's Son would be infinitely more fruitful in our efforts to redeem the culture around us. If we would spend our time more focused on me and you, and working to become more like Christ and less trying to fix everybody's problems out there, maybe we would be more successful at fixing some of the problems. So it moves from the progression of Paul's letter to the church to the bottom portion, which is there is some wisdom for us collectively as the church, for me, for you, as believers, there is some wisdom in how we are to approach the outside world. Now I wanna draw a distinction here, okay? Because this is another thing that is, um, I think, maybe culturally specific to life here in the South, 
there's an assumption in Paul's letter to the church here that there's a vast difference between believers and non-believers. And growing up here in the South, it's, I'll just be honest, it's difficult to find someone that will tell you they're a non-believer or they're not in church, right? There's, there's this idea that I've, I've been to church a couple times in the last couple years. I show up at Easter and Christmas and went to church sometime as a kid. And so we, they get lumped into the same category as those of us who are trying to become disciples of Jesus. And it's important for us to understand that's the filter we're looking through, but that's not the filter that Paul's writing in. In this, this specific setting, there's a distinction There are those who belong to Christ, members of the body, church members, people that have submitted their lives to the authority both of Christ and to the church that are doing life with the spirit, repenting, growing in the knowledge of the supremacy of God's son, like it would say. And then there are outsiders. There are those who are filling their time and their mind with other things. And that doesn't necessarily mean there's good people and bad people. It just means there's believers and followers and disciples, and then there's others. And we need to understand that if we follow Paul's advice, that distinction should be much more clear. And that's some of the conviction in this letter from Paul. So here's some of the wisdom from Paul that we need to take to his letter, uh, in, from his letter to the church. Here we go. Number two. Paul says, make every moment count. When you're dealing with people outside the church, when we, when you and I are, are engaging and interacting with outsiders, and I don't just mean people that go to a different church, right? I don't mean people that go to the church you used to go to or the church that you're gonna go to. It, it, no, it's, it's when you're dealing with people who are not claiming to follow Christ. He says, this is really important. It's important for us to make every moment count. There's a quote that um, I looked up, I thought it was a Mark Twain quote, but I did some research and by that, I mean, I Googled it and it turns out it's Thomas Edison uh, is who it's accredited to. But he says this, I've, I've heard this quote a bunch, it's awesome. Most people miss their opportunity because it usually wears overalls and it looks like work. And I wonder if as Christians, we have the same understanding when it comes to reaching the world around us. That we imagine that the kingdom of God advancing in our lives, in our age, in our time is gonna be this massive dramatic moment on a Sunday morning when the keyboard is playing and the spirit of God has just fallen and made itself manifest here in the gathering. But I think what Paul's letter to the Colossians is trying to say is that no, actually Tuesday morning at breakfast with your kids is just, just perfectly fine. See, what we've done is we have, you and I, we, the church here in the West, what we have created is this fallacy where where in our minds there's a divide between the Saturday secular tailgate and the Sunday sacred church. But that's not in the Bible. You made that, I made that, we did that. And what Paul's trying to say is that if the spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead then comes in and indwells me and you as believers, if the last thing Jesus said that's recorded in the text is he, he tells these disciples that he's gonna be with them forever, then we need to understand every moment is sacred that you and I are doing life with God. Now, please hear me. I hope to God we do have Saturday tailgates. Man, Lord, let it be so. But I find this uh, to be, again, Conviction, but in convicting in my life because I tend to show up at church on Sunday and think that we can fix in a 40 minute message what we spent six days breaking. And we can't, and that's our approach toward this. And Paul is saying, no, 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 make every single moment count. When you go to lunch with your coworkers, that's the space where the kingdom of God is supposed to advance. And one of the few, but one of the few gifts of this season where everything has been flipped upside down 
has been, I think most of us have had to come to grips with the pace of our life. And I found myself, the first, the first week where everything was shut down, I was scrambling. My wife will tell you it was embarrassing for everybody. Because I found myself rushing through my morning to get ready to go to the office and rushing through my day at the office to get home so I could rush through my time at home to get to dinner so I could rush through dinner and get to bedtime and bath time so I could rush through that and get to the point where I could sit and think about how rushed my day was. And then a lot of that gets removed. And one of the things that you have to do is come to grips with the reality that there are so many more moments in my day-to-day life with God where I can be fruitful toward those who are not believers. But we miss it. We mistake it as a board meeting on Tuesday night and think there's a sacred secular divide. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, no, no, no. When you and I engage with believers, with non-believers, we need to make the most of every second. That means church on Sunday morning and your tea time on Sunday afternoon are the same. And we've got to learn to do that. So the third thing he says, and I'll, 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 I'll wrap this up here. This is a conviction button. Boop, 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 boop. Here's what Paul says. Let your conversations be always full of grace. First thing here is that Paul assumes we would still be having conversations 2000 years later. And I think what we've done, young people like me that grew up on the internet, seasoned folks that seemingly used to know how to operate in the world, what we've done is we've replaced the desire for transformation through conversation with people we disagree with through trying to build platforms so we can have success when we go on a monologue about the way we believe the world should be. And Paul clearly writes, he writes right here, you need to be having conversations with the world around you. And those conversations need to be filled with grace. And I'm just telling you, this is as much convicting toward me as it is toward anybody. But there is something that believers in Christ need to be careful of in this day and age. If we want to fully embrace the spirit of fruitful ministry toward those outside the church, we may all need to practice the spiritual discipline of deactivating our Facebook. I find it so hard to make progress with people who don't believe what we believe because we invite people to church, we wonder why they say no and then we get on Facebook or we get in our public spheres and we just argue back and forth. And if, you're, if I disagree with you, that immediately means you're wrong. And I think the reason that we do this, this defensive nature that we've learned to build about our life is because we fear that we actually do have a lot of progress we need to make. That's been my story. The reason I get louder about my opinions is because I'm actually getting closer and closer to being afraid that it might be wrong. And it changes through conversation. I wonder how many people over the next decade are gonna be converted to faith in Christ because they watched us have conversations and disagree with each other respectfully and with Christ at the center. What if the next revival is gonna come through men and women having coffee together? I just, I I think that if Paul was here, he would say, um, your conversations need to be, uh, they need to be like salt, right? Now, let me just give a quick shout out right here. Um, I'm getting older. I'm not old, I'm super young, but I am getting older. And there's there's something that I love and you can send me an email about this if you want to, I don't care. I love steak. I love 
mid-rare steak, a bone-in ribeye, and I love it with a glass of red wine because those two things were created by God to be enjoyed together. That's, that is in the Bible somewhere. And I also like my steak to be seasoned with just a little bit of salt. And I don't want your little shaker salt. I want coarse salt, sea salt, if you will. Kosher sea salt, pull it out, I don't care. And there's a place that I love to get this steak from. Down in Pauly's Island, shout out to our Myrtle Beach family. There's a restaurant called Frank's. My wife and I go on vacation every year and I go and I save up my money to go buy a steak at Frank's. And I don't, I don't even look at the price because I don't care because I just want, there's once in my life, I want a steak and I want to eat it. And I want to go, wow, that's exactly what it should taste like. But do you know the importance of putting salt and salt only on it? Because salt has this, has this property to it where it brings out the best in the steak where the salt as the seasoning makes the steak more like itself. And I wonder if that's exactly why Paul is using this analogy to say, believers, your approach toward the world should be in an effort to bring the best out of them. That's why he says, use wisdom when approaching the outside world, not judgment. Use wisdom in the way we think toward outsiders. Don't yell, be wise, bring the best out in them. And so the prayer today as we close, is that we would allow, you and me, we would allow the spirit of God to deeply form the character of Christ in us, that we would spend most of our time doing life with God, worrying about our own growth inside the church. And from there, we would develop lives that are so effective and so filled with the peace and joy of the Holy Spirit that when we open our mouth and address the outside world, that they can't help but listen to our message. So I wanna pray and then we're gonna sing. Father, I, I am so thankful. I'm thankful to be reminded and convicted by this passage that we are to do life with you primarily and that you are in us through Christ reaching the world. That through our Tuesday morning breakfast where we engage with our own flaws where we train our children the best we can, where we repent to our wives and husbands as we learn to do life with you, where we see the workplaces and the schools and the golf courses and the swimming pools and the places where you're sending us as we learn to view those as opportunities and make the most of every moment. God, I pray for a fruitful revival of effective evangelism to break out through the men and women in this church, not through loud voices, but through effective, true, genuine lives deeply rooted in the spirit of God. God, allow us, allow us the grace to be bold enough and brave enough to not uh, pick up a flag and go running out in the world, but to pick up a Bible and go searching deep within our hearts to figure out where we have ignored your voice, your wisdom, your guidance. Father, please join us, bless us as we seek to see the preeminence of Christ in everything, as we seek to have Jesus at the center, would you please bless our efforts and make us fruitful in reaching the world around us. In Jesus' name.